podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The transfer window is open, and that just means one thing, a podcast to run through all the rumors and happenings. This podcast, is, uh, as you might recall from the summer, is uh, with your host, me, Justin, and my trusty co-host, Tadiwa. Tadiwa, how you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Get, uh, gearing for another busy rumor transfer window. I don't know if it's busy in terms of transfers, but certainly busy in terms of the rumors themselves. Yeah, I mean, we have seen a little bit of activity from from some of the London sides. I think at the you know at the at the start of it, uh, particularly on New Year's Day, the uh, the announcement that Christian Pulisic uh, will be joining Chelsea from Dortmund at, in the summer. Uh, I, I wonder what you make of that one, Tadiwa, because obviously we've been linked with Pulisic in the past. Uh, his his form this season for Dortmund has been very inconsistent, and he's been actually replaced by Jaden Sancho in the uh, in, in Dortmund's starting eleven, which is actually now at the top of the league, so you can't argue with the impact of, uh, you know, Sancho. Whether or not that's fair to Pulisic, and if, you know, if he'd been playing, would they be at the top of the, if he's playing more, would they be at the top of the league, I think is an unfair slight towards him. But I, I want to get your, uh, your take on this as the non-American on the podcast before I, before I rant about it. <laughs> no, but I think, obviously, being one of the um, prominent America, U.S. national team players, he is someone that's quite interesting. And then obviously you look at the age, I think he's 20 now. So there is room to grow. And then he's got that raw potential um, that everyone seems to to be um, talking really highly about. It was just a matter of where he was going to take his next step because it, it was clear that he was not going to be re-signing with Dortmund. And it, it would have not been feasible for Dortmund to hold him for too much longer because I think they're a club that do thrive on, you know, picking up those hidden gems or those youngsters, nurturing them, and then making a, a, a good fee from them. Um, in terms of where he's landed at Chelsea, it's one of those where I think the club chose to to pay the fifty eight million. I, I I don't think Sari even knew about it. I think he had an interview where he didn't even know, you know, the that that was a player that they were going for, or necessarily someone he would have been going for. But obviously, any club, especially in 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 the UK, would have been looking at him and seeing whether it was value for money. That US market is relatively untapped, and if you can get a US international who is probably going to be one of the forefront players for the US national team for the next at least the next decade. You you want to grab him, but I don't know I don't know what you think about the fifty eight million. It seems like Chelsea were the only ones that actually made a bid. Um, was that too much money? Maybe that's what deterred. I know for a fact Liverpool had a set price in mind of what they were going to want to pay for him, and I doubt it was as high as fifty eight million. So um, yeah, I think it was just a matter of who was willing to pay the highest amount of money. Yeah, so that's one of those things that I'm thinking about with regards to this is. Um, Look at Pulisic as a player. 
He's good. There's no, there's no doubting that he's, he's good. He's got a lot of potential, but 12 months left on that contract and the manager doesn't know about it. It feels like the, A, I think Sari is just probably either playing coy, <clears throat> which we see managers do all the time. Right. Klopp would probably say, you know, would be coy about it. I don't think that Klopp would say with a player coming in that I don't know about it because I, I think, you know, we've heard him in the past say he has final say. So you have to question whether or not Sari is being honest on that because I, I don't think he is. I think he absolutely knew about it and I think he wanted the player. But the price does seem high for a player whose contract is running out. Um, I don't think form should really weigh into his transfer price because of the fact that you are buying potential at his age. And he's he, he is a very good player. Um, for the U.S. national team, he's, you know, he, he's a player who symbolizes where we want to kind of get to. Uh, I don't think that he's necessarily going to be the sole superstar that comes out of the next run of U.S. players because I think there are some young U.S. players that are very good. Um, one that I'd look at that's actually who's actually just moved to the Bundesliga is a central midfielder named Tyler Adams who played for uh, you know, my hometown team in New York, the Red Bulls. Uh, but you know, there, and then you have Timothy Weah. So there is a there is a level of talent that's coming into Europe from the U.S. That's that is that is a better level than we've seen in the past. Pulisic still those heads and above and the crown jewel of those. Um, on a personal feeling, I don't because I, I have very negative feelings towards uh, towards Chelsea, but I. Uh, I don't like it for the reason of the fact that I just don't want to have to root for him to do well at Chelsea because obviously him doing well is good for both the U.S. men's national team and just the game writ large in the U.S. Um, but it is good to see him playing in an English-speaking club because that is a way that within which, and, and it, you know, I hate that it has to be this way, but it's a way within which your player's profile gets drawn up more and gets more attention to him in the U.S. So I think it's a good move for him. Um, now, the question I want to ask you, and I'm going to put my own feelings in this, because a lot of what we've seen on Twitter is if we had been in for him and we paid what more than what Chelsea would have, that we would have gotten the player. Um, personally, I, I don't necessarily know or think that that's true, because for more of Pulisic's life as a 20-year-old, Chelsea's been the much better club than Liverpool have, even with our you know resurgence under Herr Klopp. Yeah, I think, the, I think it was also... Telling with the Shakiri signing, uh, obviously Liverpool have come out, or through the Liverpool Echo, they have come out saying that you know that definitely played a factor into whether or not we were going to be spending that kind of money on a Pulisic. But I think at his age, as you said, you're buying potential and you're buying into a market. As we said, it's bigger than just buying a footballer. This this is one of those commercial deals, which is probably why I I had a sneaky feeling he was going to end up at United, not because of any rumor I'd read or anything like that, but they seem to have a big value in terms of commercial value signings, opposed to necessarily signings that fix their squad or help their squad, and so so I always thought they were going to be a front runner for him. So if even they're thinking fifty eight was maybe too much, then you have to start questioning, you know, how, how much. Um, how much should someone really have been spending on him? Um, in terms of for Liverpool ourselves, at the moment, maybe if, let's say, like a Lalana had left this January, maybe you could have an argument for him coming in. Um, it would allow him the freedom as a youngster to come in with at least the Shakiris there where the pressure is not necessarily on him to be, you know, one of the stars of the team. He does have that, you know, padding to, to actually grow 
Um, in terms of Klopp, I think you know Klopp um, has worked with the player before, and I think there is a relationship there. And I doubt he would have, you know, looked too far other than Liverpool if there had been a bid made. But whether or not he was really a desperate signing for us, I think it, he was more luxury than anything. And then also because we've got the American owners, I think the fantasy of the idea of the American owners that's going to be their ideal signing because one would imagine, you know. As American owners, they want a poster boy in America that they can, you know, put on the posters, literally, and just make him the figurehead of the club. We do, as a club, tour the U.S. quite a lot in our um, preseason tours, so it would have been a nice to have. But in terms of him being a necessity, I don't necessarily see it, especially on the pitch, being a necessity of players that we needed to specifically go out and get. If we could have gotten them for a decent price, then maybe you look at it, but yeah, yeah. I, I just, I, I just see it. I think it would have been an overpay and a desperation move for a player who, quite frankly, we've seen how long Klopp takes to bed players in and how how difficult the system is. If we had bought him now, it's some, still something that's coming in towards the summer. And I think, if anything, we're all a bit more hungry for a player who could kind of slot in right away and play that uh, that ox role because that seems to be the one real thing missing from the side. That you know. Some people will get cheeky and say center back depth, but Dejan Lovren's our fourth center back. So, you know, for a fourth center back, I think Lovren's probably okay. I'd prefer not to have him, but, you know, that, that that's a conversation for a different time. But still going over to Chelsea, they have still been linked with another attacker who could potentially make a much more instant impact. And I guess, uh, you know, Having us, you know, with us having sold Dominic Solanke to Bournemouth, which we'll get to later, uh, Callum Wilson. I guess the question is: Is has he has he earned a move to a to a, to a top four side? Is he a top four player? And do you do you see really any legs in the rumors of Callum Wilson to Chelsea? Well, he's one of those players that maybe I would bracket in the same bracket as um, a Jamie Vardy, where he's playing really well for one of the, the clubs chasing that, you know, trying to break into the top six. And credit to Bournemouth, they've been fantastic this season. Um, at his age, it's going to be interesting. Maybe he might want to talk to a Jamie Vardy about a move like this, where Jamie Vardy had the opportunity to go to Arsenal in his prime, in terms of, you know, age for, prime, prime age for forward players. And he chose to rather stay at less than. You can see now Vardy's trying to, you know, subtly get a, a, a big move away and it doesn't necessarily seem like there is as much interest as there was at that time you know after he had just helped lead Leicester to a title in terms of Wilson he's 26 now um, he is starting to enter that age where he's got about one or maybe two big contracts left in his career um, and it will just be a personal thing I think for him in terms of is does he weigh um the factor of how big a contract he could probably get out of a Chelsea, opposed to necessarily the playing time he would get at a Chelsea. Um, I don't know if Sarri is any different, but seeing the blueprint at Chelsea is you're not really going to get that much of a chance unless you are a specific type of player or a specific type of name or a you know, specific type of brand as a player. You look at the... You know, at 26, he might not be a youngster, but if you look at even some of the well-known people, when Cesc Fabricas came in, he had a very good season. Within two seasons, he was, you know, sitting on the bench. Now, if Callum Wilson comes now at a time where Chelsea are clearly 
struggling for a front man. They've had Hazard playing there a few times just to emphasize that by the summer he could find himself on the bench. You know what I mean? So it's something that he would have to weigh. Um, whether or not Chelsea are interested, I do think they are interested in a striker. They did try and uh, arrange it, uh, some sort of deal where Higuain was, you know, who's on loan at Milan from Juventus. Chelsea were trying to get him through to Chelsea and then send Morata to Milan as his loan replacement. And then maybe Morata either ends up at Juventus or ends up at Milan. But you can clearly see that Chelsea are shopping for strikers and Callum Wilson, he's playing well enough to earn that. Whether or not Chelsea want to take the risk with the injuries as well is might be something that de- uh, determines how high a price they're willing to pay. Yeah, I think that that's also... I, I just think that Wilson is a... I think he's a decent player who... You know, form the system suits him playing well, and also the the partnership he has with Josh King really works. Um, I see Solanke brought in as kind of more of another. He Solanke is more of like a Josh King type player. Wilson's kind of the guy who runs the channels and does a lot of the dirty work. Um, I I could see him fitting with a with a with a club like Chelsea, but to me that just feels like a let's make the numbers up on English players uh, type of thing. Uh, also, just a fun joke. One of my favorite pundit things for with regards to Bournemouth was someone asking why. Josh King wasn't being named to the English national team side. Um, he's Norwegian, so there's a reason. But uh, it's just, a, I think he's a player who, you know, he's he's made to look better, like a Vardy, by the side he plays in. And I think he's a good player, like, don't get me wrong, but I just don't think that he would, I think he'd end up playing kind of the, the role that, like, a, a Ross Barkley or a Danny Drinkwater play at, the, at, at Chelsea currently, which is really not much of one, uh, right? I don't think there's any way within which we could see that, you know, Drinkwater and uh, and Barkley have really seen their careers stagnate at Chelsea. They probably haven't seen their bank accounts stagnate, which is why they're they're happy with it. But they've definitely seen themselves stagnated. Now, you also mentioned Chess Fabregas in that particular uh, in that particular section, and he's one of two players who looks like he's probably on his real way out at Chelsea. I mean, Fabregas has actually agreed with Monaco as of the time of recording this, so he's leaving the Premier League. The other player is Gary Cahill, who I guess uh, Sari really seems to want to offload. I think that one makes sense. I guess the question is, where is the market for Gary Cahill as he's a player who's in a in what looks to be just kind of like a terminal decline? Um, unfortunately for him, he seems to be a player that just isn't going to fit that style of football uh, in terms of st- the way Sari sees football being played. So it's it's definitely going to help him to go out on loan. I do know... Someone like, um, I think it was Crystal Palace, were very keen to try and get him in on loan. Whether or not um, they're going to be able to succeed with that, um, we're trying to get that deal over the line, you know, we'll see. They did try and get Solanke as well, and, and they failed with that. So we'll see how that transpires. But in terms of trying to revive your career, as a, is he still an England international, or at least former England international um, he definitely has his worth to any of the clubs probably outside the top six. He arguably gets into most of those uh, starting center back partnerships, and you know he wouldn't look he wouldn't um, begrudge looking maybe somewhere lower in the Premier League that might not be in danger. I know that's a hard and very small window because it's very easy to become uh, one of the clubs in a relegation battle when you're below the top arguably the top 10 clubs in the Premier League but if he if he can set himself at a club where he knows he's going to be playing 
maybe get those minutes up. If he has retired from England, or, um, then maybe he's just focusing on club football. But if he has ideas of getting back into that England setup, then this will be a great chance for him to go out on loan and just get those minutes again. Yeah, I could see him. I mean, there, there are definitely some sides who could use him. Um, you know, in a pinch, I could see him actually ending up uh, at Arsenal, even though I don't really, even though I think that what they need is significantly more than him. But Arsenal right now just kind of need warm bodies. And uh, at the very least, Gary Cahill fits that particular requirement. But moving on and over to, to Arsenal, uh, they've been linked with Denny Suarez, a player who's seen a, you know, Quite a bit of potential. Worked with Unai Emery before at, at uh, Sevilla, but hasn't really played much since he got that move to Barcelona. Seems to kind of be a bit part player or a substitute. Uh, he hasn't played outside Spain, so you know he he would fit an area of need for Arsenal, which is the fact that their midfield depth this season has been very very much tested. Not as much as their defensive depth, but their midfield depth has been tested, as we saw actually just against us on the on the 29th. Uh, but I guess the question is, what do you what do you make of that? Do you think that you know bringing in a midfielder is enough for Arsenal, or do they probably need to do more work? Yeah, I think they probably do need to do more work, and especially if you consider the fact that Arsenal are one of the few bigger clubs in the Premier League who solely um, invest on the pitch of revenues that are earned off the pitch and on, on, on the pitch, so to speak. Um, they, their owner hasn't invested any money into the club, especially in terms of transfers. It's all self-generated. And if you're thinking it's about, I think, 20 million, the fee for, for Dennis Suarez that's been floating around, if you're spending 20 million of that self-generated money where where is the money then coming for a centre back, which is something as you've alluded to, with suggesting Gary Cahill coming in? It's something they desperately need at Arsenal. They've got enough going forward. I feel um, having Aubameyang and Lacazette, who are arguably two of the at least minimum top five, top ten strikers in world football, um, you're going to get goals. And as we saw against us, their defence is very very leaky, and it's very easy for them to crumble in defence. So I would have expected them to just be looking for a centre-back, not even messing with the midfield. They've got enough youngsters, even in that academy, that I think they can hold themselves through a season of trying to reach top four. If it was, let's say, a title-challenging season, then maybe I could understand going for another midfielder and another centre-back as well. But I think for them, the goal this season should should be, and I'm assuming it is, just making sure they get back into that top four um, maybe if they get a cup run, that's a bonus as well. Prime should be getting back into the top four and really making a go of it, maybe in the Europa League and getting back to Champions League 3, that, that route maybe. But in terms of priorities, when you've got such a limited budget, I don't know if he's necessarily someone you really have to go for, unless, for example, maybe Ramsey is going this month in January opposed to at the end of the season and they're going to get a little bit of money. Um, I don't know how you see it. I, I think Ramsey is the player who they're just going to... I think Ramsey, if <clears throat> if Emery is smart, he burns Ramsey out, right? There, there's not, you're not going to get anything from him in the tran- as far as the transfer goes. The player himself is already very injury-prone. Nobody's investing a lot of money in Aaron Ramsey. Like, no one is. Uh, so use him, run him into the ground, get a player like Suarez, bet him in quickly. I mean, bet him, bet him in slowly because he, even though Emery knows that even though he knows the style that Emery wants to play, he also still doesn't necessarily know the Premier League because it's a very different pace than playing at 
you know, in Bar- in the Barcelona B side, which is actually where he originally went after he was signed by Barcelona playing for Sevilla. So they just need to probably work on getting, I think just, I think they just need warm bodies to a certain point while getting some players back. I mean, Koscielny has just returned to training and playing, uh, maybe I should say playing because he, you know, played 45 against Liverpool. Um, they, they just, they, they just literally need anybody who can, they, who they can throw in there who can do a job for them. I think the real thing for Arsenal, I guess, I mean, and I guess I'll throw this question to you quickly and it's, you know, it's not necessarily transfer related is they're one of three teams that are really going for fourth place, right? It's them, United and Chelsea. Chelsea seem to have the upper hand of the three. United seem to be the long shot. But I guess the question is, do you still, do you maybe now at this point see United having shed, you know, the 500 pound weight that is Jose Mourinho's playing style? Maybe leapfrogging Chelsea into a possible, I mean, leapfrogging Arsenal as that fifth place team that really could put pressure on Chelsea. Yeah, it's definitely a real possibility. And we, we can't forget, no matter how dire a football, you know, Jose Mourinho had that Man United team playing, on paper, they do have a lot of players that can do a lot of damage. You know, if you look at the likes of Paul Pogba, the shackles that he was under, that he is, you know, a fantastic footballer, regardless of the amount of abuse he, he does seem to get, or in inverted commas, banter people seem to throw at him. Um, and they've got the the forward lines, the Lukaku's, who's been a shadow of himself this season. Uh, you know, oh, actually, all of their attacking going players have been a shadow of themselves. Arguably, only Martial has kind of um, lived up to to some sort of hype. But having a manager like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in there, who knows the club. Maybe it will spur them on. It seems to have given them the license. I think the true test will obviously come once they get the big games. But even, you know, if you look at their next big game, it's against a Tottenham team who would have just come off, I think, a Europa, I mean, a um, Carabao Cup semi final. So, how fresh would that Spurs team actually be? It might be a false um, representation if United go on and hammer them, considering they will be fresh for for the whole week preparing for that game. But yeah, I think Arsenal, that's why I was so sure that they would be going for a centre-back this this coming window is because they've got enough going forward. It reminds me, Arsenal always remind me of our 13-14 Liverpool team where you've got all the, 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 the attributes and the play going forward. It's just they can't carry you every single game. There are going to be games where you do need to rely on your defence and then maybe your strikers just scoring one or two goals, but it seems like Arsenal have to score four or five in every single game just to make sure they get over the line, and I'm not sure if that's sustainable. Um, I think in terms of on-paper teams, United have a more balanced team than Arsenal, especially considering this manager change. Uh, Chelsea is still the favourites, as you mentioned, uh, out of those three. I think Sarri has done well considering you know it's his first season there, and they, they seem to have adapted to his style of football a lot quicker than Maybe Arsenal have to Emery's football, and then certainly United were not playing for Mourinho, so we'll see how they get on. Now, I guess the other question with Arsenal is, uh, what happens in this window with uh, Mazudozil? Is he actually gonna? Is he gonna stay? Does he go? Is his salary prohibitive for anybody to even take him on? Um, it seems as if he's really fallen out with Sar with uh, sorry with uh, Emery. So, <clears throat> what happens there? Because. This is a player who definitely has had his reputation basically destroyed between what's happened with him at Arsenal and the, you know, supposed commentary about his effort alongside, 
you know, the German national team. I guess the question is, what's the market for him, given his salary, age, and uh, potential attitude issues? Yeah, I think he probably signed that contract banking on Arsene Wenger being at the club for at least another year or two, especially considering the relationship they have together. I mean, Arsene Wenger even invited Mesut Ozil to his house and had a conversation in, in, in fluent German when he was um, trying to sign him. So they've always had this special bond. And you could even see throughout Mesut's career at Arsenal, he has been protected by Wenger in terms of playing time. Um, there have been times where, you know, in inverted commas, Mesut Ozil has been ill or suffering from injury. And it's literally just Wenger taking him out of the limelight, you know, out of those tough away games to a stoke where he knows they're just going to kick, you know, kick him all, all over the pitch. And I think maybe it was him being so used to that type of environment and um, the whole coaching staff under Wenger where you you get Emery coming in and Ozil still trying to relive those Wenger days in terms of their picking and choosing which games he specifically wants to play. Um, and I, I think Emery is having none of that at the moment and that's probably where the clash originally started. Now, in terms of his future, I know Mesut Ozil has... You know, he he has stated that he doesn't want necessarily leave this window. Um, I think maybe that might be just a play to try and find a better deal for himself. Maybe he's seen the options of what's available to him if he leaves now in January and it's just not as enticing as what he's hoping for maybe once teams are more willing to sign players at the end of a season. So I think maybe it's just a waiting game for him. As you said, the wages is a big, big thing. Um, he is one of the better played players in the Premier League as a whole so whether or not someone's going to be willing to match that or if he's willing to make uh, take a pay cut will be interesting to see and then I suppose also unfortunately for him he had always been earmarked as um, one of the players that was, that was going to end up at Bayern Munich it's a similar situation to Coutinho with Barcelona where the player sort of basically had an agreement with the club that at some point in time you're going to come to us. With Coutinho, it was when he was at Inter Milan, they needed him to go to a club where he could actually prove that he has you know, the potential that, that had been spoken about. He chose Liverpool. So in my head, I always knew at some point in time Coutinho was going to leave. So it was just a luxury having him um, in that sense. And maybe it might be insulting to some fans to, to think that, oh, how can he use this like that but that's just modern football nowadays that's how players players are thinking three four five six years ahead it's not just about being in that moment it's now more of a business and it's a similar thing with Mesut Ozil in the sense that he was meant to be earmarked to go to to Bayern Munich at some point in time and he had timed this contract where he was looking to go last year in his peak year and Bayern's you know they had just signed their midfield was sort of recreating itself and they they obviously still had Thiago playing well for them and they weren't quite ready for him to come to them. So he was happy to stay at Arsenal, you know, at a club where he was still winning at least an FA Cup every two years or so and at the time still making top four. Um, so he was he still had a comfortable life at Arsenal. Now, with Arsenal having a, a, a tougher battle with this transition, whether he's still happy being comfortable at Arsenal um, it's not as comfortable a ride at the moment because transition is never that easy. Um, now with Bayern Munich, still a bit hesitant of whether they want to sign him anymore. Where does he go from there? That That's a question that's going to be interesting. From a personal level, I really don't know. I thought I knew when, in terms of 
the plan moved to Bayern Munich, but now the door is really, really wide open for him. Yeah, I think, I think that's a fair rundown. That's also, I guess, the, the big question is at the age of 30, right? Because we're not talking about a player at this point who has any real potential, right? He's fulfilled it. Um, what what kind of market there is for him, it's obviously anything you're going to get for him would be a very depressed transfer fee where you're just going to have to pay his, basically take his wages off the books. Um, I guess the question is, if you're Bayern Munich, do you feel better with uh, going forward with James Rodriguez at the age of 27 or Mesut Ozil at, at 30? Um, I'd rather have James Rodriguez, if all things are considered, uh, just because I think he's a better player than Ozil to, to begin with. But uh, moving on to the two Manchester sides, just uh, some quick things. I don't even know the, you know, the veracity, how how rational these rumors are. Um, Juan Quintero, Colombian midfielder, who's playing currently for River Plate in the Argentine League, but has been um, on loan in France for the past few seasons, uh, linked to Manchester City. He just seems to be a level below what kind of player they usually look at um do, do you think there's any do you think there are any legs in this one and then the other one is uh united reaching out united apparently wants diego godin from atletico madrid um obviously godin is one of the world's best center backs arguably you, you could probably put him at that the, in, you know on that pedestal with uh you know the, the uve center backs and uh and, and our own virgil van dyke and a, a player like rafael Varan. i guess the question is also do you see United, you know, buying their 800th center back in the, of the last four seasons, uh, you know, coming coming in there? Uh, I, I certainly don't see that happening in this window. Yeah, it, it would be tough to get him in this window, but I think the rumors around um, Godin are centered around the fact that he hasn't signed that new contract yet, and obviously, whether or not they want to lose him on a free transfer is 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 the the conversation happening at the moment now. Can uh, Man United get him? Of course Man United can get him. They can pretty much get any player in world football if they really, really um, back themselves with, with the financial clout that they have. Um, obviously, Liverpool aside, I don't think in, uh, the clubs necessarily do try between the two of them. But um, I think United are a club that probably are going to have to pay a lot of wages. We saw with Alexis Sanchez how much he came in asking for just just to join United. And if you look at those players, as you mentioned, Godin is one of those, arguably the elite you know, players in world football, especially uh, when you're considering centre-backs. Now, is he going to be willing to come into a project? Now, obviously, United have the lure of being Man United, but reality is, for players at the moment, Man United is seen as a club where it's just a wait-to-see. Just they just want to see is this a blip or is this actually something that's going to carry on? And it is, I think, something that Liverpool found uh, and are very familiar with back in 1990, where we obviously thought, no, you know, this is something that was going to last maybe one or two seasons and we'll be back um, challenging, uh, winning Premier League titles for fun. Um, so there's obviously always that caution with players of, am I going to make myself stuck at a club that's actually not really. Um, not really running at full pelt on the pitch and aren't really going to be winning as much as they used to be winning. So that's the danger for Man United. And because players have that hesitation, it just means Man United have to pay a lot more in wages and a lot more in you know bonuses and stuff like that to entice those players to the club, whether or not United want to do that. They probably might end up doing something like that purely because Mourinho is such a good spinster. He's convinced, you know, he convinced everyone in the transfer window 
in the previous transfer window that he had never gotten, you know, any backing from Man United. Yet if you look back, he's the one that specifically went out and chose Eric Bailly and um, Linderhoff and the likes of them. It's, it's quite a funny old story. So maybe that hangover of even if Mourinho's gone, the pressure of the fans still thinking, you know, you guys aren't backing us. It might just be a moment for the owners to say, look, we just have to go out and spend big just to prove that actually we do back this club. Um, and then in terms of Man City, they, they, you could see obviously when Fernandinho got injured, how crucial he is. Him arguably one of the key players for them, you could argue, um, in terms of being that glue that holds that team together. Whether or not they get in Quintero, I think it is um, that you mentioned. <sighs> Look, uh, that one, I'm, I'm, I, I'll be honest and say this is just purely personal speculation i don't think city are going to to fill that position just yet i think they're going to have to wait until the summer purely because the target that they had targeted in uh Jorginho ended up going to to chelsea and there's a whole big spiel about what happened in that transfer where he pretty much was um pep guardiola was assured that he was coming to to city and then all of a sudden chelsea end up getting Sarri in and then Napoli didn't feel that the compensation that they were getting for Sally was actually enough considering how much Sarri had done for them at the club and how big a loss it was going to be. So they, they basically ended up engineering some of that compensation within the Jorginho transfer and Jorginho was happy to go to Chelsea. So it might be a, a, a matter of City have looked at someone and they've identified someone within these past uh, six months and they go out and get him. Um, or whether it's waiting the whole year, I would lean towards waiting until next season, um, until the end of this season to come and get actually a more prominent person. I, I don't know if um, I don't know if they necessarily want just a semi semi good player. I think they would. The characteristics of City would be they would be looking for a world class player or at least one of the top players in that position, especially with the age of Fernandinho. These niggles are going to start to probably get more and more and he is going to start slowing down. They're going to want someone that's going to come and secure that position for the next five five years at least. And I don't know if he necessarily fulfills that role. I think if they buy him now, it will probably be a stopgap and then they're going to have to look to reinvest in the near future. Yeah, for me, it's basically Godin would actually be a player that they could sign where um, he's a player who's good enough to fit basically any side in the world because he's just a good enough defender to defend against really anybody. Um, I, I don't care that he's we'd be adjusting to a new league, the Premier League, because a good enough defender doesn't have to rely on uh, pace anyway because they'll figure it out on Naus. And I think he's the type of signing that United have really been missing, which is just uh, you know a player who can fit every single system. I think part of it also is just that Mourinho just you know, he signed another one of those players in Pogba and decided that he would uh, do every. He would just play Pogba woefully out of position and just give him no confidence and blame him for everything. But uh, I think that Godin would be the type of signing that would actually put me back on the road towards maybe fearing and respecting United rather than just laughing at them. Uh, so let's hope that that doesn't happen. Quintero, I think, is a solid player. Um, <clears throat> I, I just think it's basically more along the lines of what you're saying, which is. City probably need another defensive midfielder um, or someone who can play kind of in that holding role. Now, 
it's interesting that they have, and, and this is a good way to tra- time, time to transition into to Liverpool. It's interesting that they haven't been linked with a player that we've been linked with as long as well as Barcelona and Adrian Rabio, because Rabio would actually probably fill. He, while he's not like for like for Fernandinho, because he's not as much of a uh, shit house defensively, and he doesn't have, but he does have a lot of the qualities that you would look for in a player in in a holding midfield role, especially in a Guardiola side that's looking to, you know maintain possession and kind of play like you know in a totally press resistant style so i'm intrigued as though i haven't seen city linked with rabio i don't want to see city linked with rabio i want to see rabio end up in liverpool although i still think he likely ends up in barcelona but uh moving on to the reds now um we we've apparently angered neil warnick for not giving him a call on nathaniel klein um, I don't know if you read the story, but obviously Klein now going to Bournemouth uh, on a season on a season long loan. I guess the question is: A, what the hell is Neil Warnock talking about? And B, for us, is is loaning Klein out? Uh, is it wise? Do we have cover at the right back and left back positions? Um, and you know, w- what do you think of it overall? I mean, personally, I'm not particularly concerned because we've seen Nathaniel Klein play. I think three times, or now four times in the last. You know, three, if it's like three full nineties, you know, or four appearances in the last 18 months. So as far as actually see, even seeing him as a useful depth piece, it, it's tough to even make that claim. Yeah, I tend to agree with you there. And we also have to take into consideration the amount of minutes that Trent Alexander Arnold has played at such an, uh, such a young age. You would have assumed that Klein would have at least helped him out this, this season. And even then, it was Gomez that was going into right back, not necessarily Klein. And I think that was probably the biggest indication that his Liverpool uh, career was coming to an end. Um, When he came back, back in about March, April time last year, Klein started his preseason then. So they actually made him start preseason probably lopsided to everyone else where everyone obviously comes back in June, July and starts their preseason then. So I thought, um, and I I assumed that the reason Liverpool were doing that was they were countering the fact that Trent was going to be going with England to the World Cup or potentially going with England to the World Cup. And then it was confirmed, obviously, once the World Cup uh, squad was announced. But it would have allowed then Trent to have an extended break after the World Cup and Klein just fulfills that role for the first maybe one or two weeks just to give Trent a little bit of extra time to get a break and come back a little bit more fresher. But like I said, it was actually Joe Gomez that was the one that was deputizing for Trent Alexander-Arnold when Trent was given a break. Now, in terms of going to Bournemouth for Klein, I think, I, I don't know how much of the Solanke deal is tied into the Klein deal. Uh, I would assume, and as you said, with uh, Warnock being quite angry with Liverpool, because basically Warnock had been told that, according to Warnock, that is, he had been told that Klein was going to be coming to Cardiff. Although from my personal perspective, I'd find it weird for us to be loaning him to a club that plays football, nothing similar to what we do, unless obviously it was the only club we could find for him. But as of England international, you would have thought a lot of clubs would have been going for Klein. But but anyway, that's besides the point. Um, so Warnock thought he was coming to him. And what happened was because Warnock was so sure that Klein was going to be coming to their club, he actually ended up foregoing three other potential signings that he could have made at that time. And once Klein ended up at Bournemouth, um, obviously those three other 
alternative targets that um, Warnock had in mind, they now ended up going somewhere else or the deals were now off the table by the time he tried to go back and try and rescue them. So I think that's where his anger probably comes from. Um, in terms of the client to Bournemouth, as I mentioned, I do have a feeling it, it's linked to the Solanke move in terms of, yes, we are paying you $18 million for Solanke, which is amazing business from Liverpool considering he virtually came, you know, as a free transfer pending, you know, the compensation that we had to play to to, to Chelsea. It, it it wasn't that high a compensation. Um, the fact that he went to the under-19s World Cup, I think, or the under-20s World Cup, that wouldn't, if, if I'm correct, that d- didn't factor into the price purely because the transfer happened before um, he actually went for the World Cup. Um, so, it didn't necessarily increase the price as much as maybe Chelsea were hoping it would have. And Bournemouth maybe turned around and said, look, we're, we're taking Solanke permanently for 18 million. Can you throw in Nathaniel Klein for six months and then maybe we'll sign him? If, if, if he does well, maybe they have an option to buy that hasn't been disclosed yet or maybe he then gets put in the shop window for someone else that would be looking for a right back come the end of the season. Yeah, no, I I, I I agree. That definitely seems like it's part of the package deal with Solanke. Um Fun fact is, you know, now if anybody wants to criticize Liverpool as being, or Klopp as being a checkbook manager, our net spend is now negative since he's arrived with the Solanke deal. Um, the one thing that I think you could definitely, you know, come to gloat on is that our, lab turd, op, our laptop nerds are better than everybody else's. But I think Solanke makes sense because he's not necessarily going to get a run of games with us Klein makes sense because of the fact that he's not going to get a run in games with us. Uh, I guess, you know, as much as I think probably I dislike it, and I'm pretty sure from our conversations that happened off this podcast, you probably feel the same way, which is you don't like Joe Gomez covering right back. I guess the question is, do you use James Milner there in a pinch if you need to? Um, I'd, I'd prefer never to see Fabinho play there because I think he has to play in the midfield. And basically, Fabinho has to be the, you know, Fabinho and Genie need to be the first two names on our team sheet in midfield, as far as I'm concerned, in big games at the moment. But uh, do you do you think that we've left ourselves thin at right back? Um, the James Mulder argument is going to be interesting how it um, unfolds the rest of the season. Because as you said, if you look at our midfield, especially when everyone is fit, and considering Mulder's age, look, Mulder had a really good start to the season. Um, and obviously there were all the reports of him being the fittest player when, when they ran the fitness tests in preseason. But my, my worry with James Milner is always, as an older player, when his legs go, they're going to go. It, it's not going to be a gradual, slow, you know, build up to, oh, my word, his legs are going. You know what I mean? It's just going to go. And if he's a key player in your team at that point in time, then it's going to be very difficult to wean him off. Obviously, off the pitch, he is invaluable as one of the few players in our squad that actually has won a Premier League title, um, if, if not the only. Uh, I'm, I might be corrected by that, but I, he probably might be the only one that has won a Premier League title um, whilst being actually involved in the team. So he is very invaluable, especially coming to the back end of the season. He's the one that all the players are going to be looking at. Now, in midfield, we should have enough, especially if we continue to move to this two-man midfield, then we should have enough cover in that midfield with Cater, Fabinho, Henderson, Genie, where we can put Milner as the backup right-back slash fifth, sixth choice center mid if and when needed 
where he just becomes like a, a, a roaming sweeper, so to speak, where he just covers every position that necessarily needs cover. He's good enough to do that, and he's intelligent enough as a footballer to be able to fulfill those roles. Um, I know Klopp has mentioned a few of the youngsters in the academy. Uh, we, you know, the signing we made in in the uh, summer transfer window, which we we spoke about, Kiana Hoover. Um, I think I spoke to Guy about him at the time, where uh, he was a young young kid coming coming in, and they weren't necessarily sure whether to come in and stick at right back or you know centre back or move him somewhere else on the pitch. And he seems to have had glowing reviews from the academy. We do see him going forward as a right back, so he's come up to train with the um, main squad uh, recently, I think it was. So maybe the fact that he came up to training and has impressed Klopp enough, where Klopp has thought, okay, he can maybe be useful as a deputy, maybe as the third choice in behind um, Trent and James Milner. And also we have taken consideration Camacho, who has been in match day squads quite a few times this season. He probably more naturally plays as a right winger, but if if you know Trent Alexander Arnold was a number six in the in the academy and he's moved very well to right back. So maybe it might be one of those situations where Camacho could also be an understudy at right back. So I think it might be risky in terms of the experience level of players. Klein is an experienced Premier League player, experienced England international player, maybe doesn't suit our style going forward, but he does have that experience defensively and playing in the Premier League. But if Klopp has seen enough from the youngsters, then we do have enough cover. But the problem with that is Klopp has always spoken about not throwing youngsters into the deep end. So it is kind of contrasting if on one end he's talking about we've got really good um, backups in terms of the academy for for right back. Whether or not he throws them in will be interesting. And I, I, I have to agree with you in that I think James Milner, considering how many players we have in midfield, if we stick with this two-man midfield, James Milner could get some good minutes at right back. And he obviously could do a job there. Yeah, so I, I could see that. It's also I just think that playing right back is... It's a different kind of physical demanding than playing a set, the central, the center of midfield. And I think that that type of physical demanding of just running up and down, not having to change direction probably suits Milner at this point in his career more than playing in the center of midfield and being, you know, in, in, a, in a high pressing team where we're trying to trap, where we're trying to trap players. Um, however, I think it's an interesting one because I think we'll probably see him play tomorrow. That's the indication we're getting. As far as just for everybody to know, this is being recorded on Sunday, January sixth. Uh, but you know, I think we're going to probably see him play at some point against Wolves. We know he's probably in the squad, uh, so you know, I think we're going to see him there. It's interesting that you bring up Camacho also, though, because he's been linked with a thirteen and a half million dollar move to Sporting Lisbon. Um, to me, that doesn't seem like something I really want to see happen. Um, he's a player who played very, very well in the preseason. Um, he seems to have all the physical tools that one would need to be a good outside player in the Premier League. But I guess the question then, you know, just really begs, and we don't necessarily need to get into it. If we think about these players like Curtis Jones, Harry Wilson, Rafa Camacho, um, we've seen that Klopp has been, you know, unafraid to not necessarily give young players their debuts. He's not going to throw you to the deep end. I mean, even if you look at Trent, his debut against United happened solely because of an injury decline and the lack of depth in the squad that we had at that point in uh, Klopp's tenure. We don't have that same issue now. So I guess the question is, you know, is if Camacho 
isn't Klopp's plans at right back at the age of 19 in the second half of the season, don't, would you think that it would be deputizing, uh, you know, would it be deputizing Trent Alexander Arnold or is the fact that maybe Hoover getting a look before him kind of maybe shows that, you know, Camacho might not be in the long-term plans? Yeah, that's actually a very interesting point. And it, it, obviously we have to wait for the, um, this storyline to actually develop and unfold and see how the, you know, how the, where the chips fall. But at the moment, I think the, the, the links with Camacho is, it, it would be down to Camacho and how, how, as you've mentioned, how he sees his ranking in, in the team in terms of whether it's ranking for right wingers or ranking for right backs or whichever assessment he has. And obviously the package which Sporting Lisbon are willing to offer. We have seen there has been now been a tendency for a lot of young players in the academies in England being poached or I don't know if poached is the right word, but moving abroad to some of the other clubs in order to get minutes. You mentioned earlier Jadon Sancho, who was a player who probably might not have even made a full, uh, full you know, uh, league debut. But at this point in his career, he might still be stuck in an academy in England. Whereas if you look at him now, he's starting to, you know, edge his career in the Bundesliga and he's playing really well. So it might be something that Camacho might be looking at in terms of Keanu Hoover at least has the time in terms of years for age. So at least he 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 can decide a little bit later in his career what he wants to be doing. Um, he's still 16 years old, whereas Camacho, he's getting to that age um, whether or not he, he wants to still be at Liverpool. Does he want to go back to his next? Portugal, I think he is from Portugal, if I'm not mistaken. He's 18 years of age at the moment. If he's not breaking into this team at this point in time, maybe those questions start to come into his head. And he he obviously still be playing um, international football for the younger international teams that he represents. Um, if he has friends and mates that he's seeing there, uh, you know, week um, every now and then, and they're talking about starting for sporting list. Lisbon, which is a, still a massive club, especially in Portugal, um, is that something that might entice him? Uh, keep him. He seems like an exciting player. Whether it is going to be at right back or he does trans, um, transition to that right wing position, I do think he is a player that you do want to keep hold of just for a few more years. Whether or not you sell him later on, I think you could get a lot more value in keeping him and developing him and letting him work under you know people like Pep Linders and then assessing him a little bit later on, maybe 2021, then you can look to see where his future lies. But it solely depends on the players at this day and age of football where he might just want out. We saw Brewster was very close to leaving the club uh, to join, I think it was Borussia Mönchengladbach uh, back back last year. And some of these um, European clubs are offering a lot of these young academy players in England more exciting packages that might not necessarily be something that the English clubs are willing to match, whether in terms of value for money or just minutes on the pitch. Yeah, no, I think that that makes perfect sense. Um, you know, so I think we're, we're about ready to close. I guess uh, right now there's uh, there, there's two there's two uh, rumors that I think I'm just going to kind of introduce for next time, and we'll see if they progress at all. Um, well, one of them is a lack of rumors. Uh, obviously, Lazar Markovic still on the books, 
So I guess the question is, and hopefully we see more development by next week, uh, he finds himself a permanent home because I just don't, I don't even think, I don't even want to get myself to the point of caring whether or not it's fair to him to be in the pecking order where he is. Because obviously he just doesn't, hasn't done enough and he's an adult at this point to, uh, to really get into Klopp's plans. And then also apparently we're into some Turkish player, um, you know, we've been linked for as a player who will replace Adam Lallana at the, this this season because it seems as if Adam Lallana's time with a club is coming to an end. Um, the player's name is uh, I think is Abdulaziz Omer. Um, I don't know anything about him, so I can't really comment in any way. Sorry, it's Ab- Abdul Katir Omer. I, I I don't know anything about him outside the fact that he plays for Trabzonspor and we're linked to him for twenty seven million euros. Um, I, I you know. If if you if you know anything about him today, well, that'd be that'd be great. Um, but I'm just going to assume that you're not the biggest expert on the ter- the on the Turkish Premier League. <laughs> no, not necessarily. Um, it's just obviously the the things that have been spoken about him um, from you know you get snippets from newspaper articles and stuff like that. But it would be disingenuous to try and describe who the player is and and the type of signing that he would be. In terms of whether we have a link, I personally haven't heard anything that solid. Um, it seems to just be agents trying to generate some some attraction. Maybe it's someone that we, we have looked at. And remember, Liverpool do look at a lot of players um, where it's just keeping tabs on them. And then the, the fact that you're keeping tabs on a player, that player's agent will just spin it in the sense of, oh, he's one of Liverpool's key targets, you know. So we do always have to weigh those type of considerations into account. Um, I know, um, for example, with Danny Caballos, I think it was, from Real Madrid, Liverpool have kept tabs with him for, I think, the best part of two years now, or a year and a half now. They have kept close ties. He's another midfielder that you know could easily also start drumming up the fact that he is one of the key players that Liverpool want, whether or not we do want him that seriously. I'm not sure. I just know it's someone that we're looking at. So Liverpool are always looking at players. I'm not. I'm not sh- too sure about the player and his style. Maybe I'll go do a little bit more <laughs> research now that I that I know this and and try and keep an eye out for him and see his playing style. And we can discuss it a bit more in depth next week. But in terms of at the moment, it, it's not necessarily something I've been paying too much attention to. With regards to Lazar Markovic, I found it quite funny how. Um, as it was getting closer and closer to the January transfer window, all of a sudden Liverpool had, you know, articles coming out via, I think it was the Echo or some other newspapers were now writing the fact that, oh, by the way, Lazar Markovic actually has been injured for the past month or so, month or two months. That's why he hasn't been playing, you know. And for me, it just it just didn't, I, I, I thought I could see straight through that in the terms of, oh, all of a sudden, now you're telling us that he actually was injured. That's why he wasn't playing. It definitely has nothing to do with the fact that you're trying to get rid of him in the January transfer window and clubs you know, wouldn't necessarily want him if he had been fit and just not making the squad. But there were rumors of him maybe having a move to Fiorentina. But uh, the problem with that was Fiorentina then went and signed um, Luis Muriel from Sevilla. So that kind of quash those those that that trail um it, it, it seemed like it was uh, an option that Fiorentina had um he was certainly some one of the people that he that they were looking at but obviously if they get Luis Muriel in 
then that kind of just buries that rumor. Where he goes, I'm really not sure. It, it, it's sad with regards to Markovic. He had so much potential. I'm just hoping he does find a club where he can, you know, start to actually try and untap that potential that he he clearly had. As yeah, and so there's also one last thing that I think we forgot to get to, and I think we'll use this as our closing conversation. Divakarigi linked with a 15 million pound move to Fulham. Um, it basically the you know. Origi obviously hasn't played very many minutes for us, but the minutes he's played are very, very important. Uh, you know, obviously his his goal against Everton's you know a huge one that get, kind of feels like it set us on a turning point in the season and, and get it, led us on that run in December. But uh, I guess really the question is is that is that a move you make given our depth up front and the potential injury history of Daniel Sturridge? Uh, for me personally, I, I think uh, Origi's really kind of persisted a lot so he deserves a move away but if he's going out i want somebody else coming back in uh, because I, I just don't know that you know rory uh, greenfield made this point in his timeline but I, I don't necessarily know that i trust ryan brewster just yet considering he's been on a long injury layoff and he's never played with the first team and um just to speak on brewster as well we don't necessarily even know his timeline do we um i don't know if you have you heard anything in terms of when he's i i I've heard nothing. Apparently, he should be coming into training at some point in the near future, but the near future is uh, it's it's not concrete <laughs> enough for me to 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 say like he'll be there in two weeks. Yeah, that's true. And in the summer, you know, the the word was he was he was going to be back by December uh, in terms of starting his own individual preseason in December and then looking to get involved with you know the FA Cup games and stuff like that, but. We are now in January, and there's still no word of him having come back or anything like that. So it, it is interesting to keep an eye on that one. Um, in terms of Origi, for 15 million, I know the club wanted somewhere closer to 25 to 30 million in during the summer window. Whether or not we've lowered our price, I'm not sure. I would assume we haven't. Um, he is still a very good footballer. Um, he, you know, bar the Wolfsburg loan season. He's always been a player that has scored, you know, double digits in terms of goals, regardless of how people view him as a player. At Liverpool, both the seasons, you know, the way he actually played for us, there were both more than 10 goals a season, which I thought the likes of, you know, Solanke, etc., were actually not producing. So it was a bit harsh on Origi for him to be the one to, to go out on loan. But what's done is done. Uh, in terms of going to Fulham, it could be an uh, interesting one for him. Whether or not he's willing to take that risk in terms of our Fulham still going to be up um, come the end of the season, or he he's he'll he'll only go if there's a release clause. That will be interesting to see. Um, but I think the club would be looking for closer to 25 million than necessarily the 15 million, which uh, Fulham might have come in with a with an opening uh, inquiry for him. With Rigi also being rumored to go out, it just shows is that we seem to be flogging everyone out that's played sort of less than 300, 500, 300 to 500 minutes this season. Seems to be the the cutoff point, <laughs> um, if I can take it that cynically. But yeah, you look at the clients, you look at um, the Solankis and then possibly Origi. These are all players that haven't played more than 500 minutes this season. So maybe Klopp is looking to get them out. As As you say, it is a risk especially coming to the business end of the season. 
would you not rather want to keep an Origi around just in case uh, Sturridge will always have, you know, that injury record going with him for the rest of his career, despite the fact that he's um, been available more than the likes of Henderson and Lalana. Um, that that never seems to derail people thinking that he's completely broken, but the others are just unfortunate with their injuries. But yeah, I think we would feel a lot more comfortable if um, Daniel Sturridge wasn't the only um, backup striker that we have at the moment, especially with the question mark on Brewster and, and his fitness. Whether Liverpool are, would be going for a forward play in the January window, I really am doubting whether Liverpool are going to be doing any business this window. So if that's the situation, I personally would rather keep an Origi around. But if Liverpool have identified someone that they're willing to bring in, then obviously giving him the license to leave, fair enough. Yeah, I'm on the same page. And I think that's a good place to end it. Um, so, Tadima, you got anything you want to plug before we, uh, before we close? Uh, thanks. Uh, yeah, sure. We had a face-off podcast for the Man City game. We recorded it yesterday. I think it came out yesterday as well with Guy Drinkle, where we just assessed the the game itself and looking at. We took, I think, more of a tactical um, analysis of it than necessarily the play-by-play of the game with how Klopp, you know, went into the game, the likes of Fabinho starting or not starting, the likes of Lovren. You know, how much is it Lovren's fault or is it still the club's fault in the fact that Lovren is still a player at the club, which I suppose is something that's relevant to uh, this transfer um, podcast. But it's, yeah, so that that was a good discussion that we had. And then also on Tuesday, I should be involved with the fantasy podcast. So people can look out for that one. Excellent. And uh, I I haven't worked on anything lately, so I'm not going to plug anything, but this podcast will be back at you next week as well because we're going to do this during the transfer windows, be it winter or summer. So uh, from myself and Tadiba, thanks for the listen and uh, we'll be back at you next week. Network.